Hello and welcome to the Rooted in the Really Real podcast. Get ready to go on a journey of knowledge, growth, healing, and prayer rooted in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now let's dive in. Welcome everybody. Thanks for listening. We are just going to jump right in today, I think, right? With Cardinal Virtues, that's what we're talking about. This is the third episode in our little series here about virtue in general. And I think the first two episodes, we kind of set the stage for virtue. We were talking big picture, why is virtue important and how it leads to this freedom in our life and why virtue is necessary. All this stuff that's a little bit more big picture, right? We're going to start going into specifics here. This episode being about the cardinal virtues, the four cardinal virtues. And what's important about this, I think, is the fact that everything builds on everything else. Right, so we have to know that we were made for freedom, and that our freedom comes uh, particularly to choose the good. That's the freedom that God has given us, and the virtues are the means by which we come to know the goods and uh, and are able to choose them with ease. So, for today's episode, going into the cardinal virtues, we're going to be specifically looking at the chapter in Peter Kreef's book, Back to Virtue that he has on the cardinal virtues, because I think it's very succinct. It's very full of of easy-to-understand information here about what the cardinal virtues are and how foundational they are. So like we said, there are four cardinal virtues, justice, prudence, fortitude, and temperance. I think sometimes people are like, well, what does that mean? Like, what's fortitude again? So he explains it as, you know, we know what justice is, but prudence is like wisdom, fortitude is similar to courage, and temperance is like self-control or moderation. So Kreef mentions that all other virtues hinge on these four, and that word hinge is important because they're not called cardinal virtues because of the bird or cardinal, like, you know, the type of bishop, but because the word comes from the Latin word cardo, which means hinge. So it's it's showing how important these four virtues are when we're talking about virtues and living a virtuous life because they're very foundational in growing in any of the other virtues. What uh, each of these virtues does, or, or they're, they're the hinge virtues, because all the other virtues fall really under one of these four. And so, for example, the virtue of religion is is underneath the virtue of justice, and the virtue of sobriety, right, comes under the virtue of temperance. And so, all all the virtues that that Aquinas and that others have listed can all be in a sense, hung underneath each one of these. In a similar way, right, we have the seven deadly sins, all of the different types of vices can fall under one of the categories of the deadly sins. And so it's it's really good for us because if we don't have these cardinal virtues rightly ordered in our lives or have an understanding of them, it it's a lot harder for us to have uh, the virtue under the virtues underneath them. It's harder for us to cultivate the virtues that fall underneath each of the cardinal virtues. So, one of the things uh, just to to touch on with these four cardinal virtues is uh, the Catechism has just a couple of really great quotes uh, from 1806 to 1809 on each one. What it says about prudence is that prudence is the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance. And this is just an important thing. It, it's, it's, 
it's the true good that we're looking at, not necessarily what the world tells us it is, but that authentic good that comes to us through revelation and through the right use of reason. And it's about choosing the right means of achieving it. Um, Aquinas, following in Aristotle's footsteps, says, prudence is not to be confused with timidity or fear, nor with duplicity or, or dissimilarity. Rather, prudence guides the judgment of conscience. The prudent man determines and directs his conduct in accordance with his judgment. Uh, it also goes on and they'll say that, that prudence is oftentimes considered the charioteer of virtues, telling us how much uh, is the right amount and which of these is the right way and, how much, and, and having the courage to do so and act out on it. What uh, the Catechism says of justice is that justice is that virtue that consists in the constant and firm will to give their due to God and their neighbor, right? We think of the two greatest commandments, to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And justice towards men disposes one to the respect, the rights of each other, and to establish, and to establish in human relationships the harmony that promotes equity with regard to persons and the common good. Fortitude, I think, is a virtue that oftentimes we we misunderstand with with like foolhardiness or or um, bravado, but fortitude really is that virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of the good. It disposes one to renounce and sacrifice his life in defense of a just cause. And lastly, there's temperance, and temperance is really about. Temperance is that moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy good things. It's not Puritanism. It's not um, uh, anything of that nature. It's it's really about how do we how do we use these good things in the in that right way in a moderated way such that we don't become in any way uh, overly inclined to them. All right, I like it. So that's from the catechism, kind of a little overview of what we've got for each one. What I really like about the cardinal virtues, and I think what is really important, and one of the main points that Kreeft wants to make, is that they are so relevant to us, like relevant to man, to mankind, no matter where we are. You know, in Plato's time, this was something very relevant. In our time today, this is something very relevant. It's not an outdated idea that fortitude is something good and beneficial for us. Peter Creve talks about giving a college lecture at Boston College in, no, I don't know, was it the 70s? No, in, in the 60s, and how his students all thought this idea of virtue and, and having it be this foundation of society is outdated and irrelevant and we don't need this, like let's come up with our own idea. And he entertained that and wanted to see what they would come up with, and essentially they all agreed on the same things, that we shouldn't have a double standard for the individual and society, and we should have some kind of rule, and there should be something here um, where we're working in harmony and cooperation and togetherness, and that, that we can all thrive, and that it would lead to happiness. And everything that they they agreed on, you know, that that greed and and vice um, consumerism, that that wouldn't be good for, for the community, all, all of these things that they agreed on defined virtue and defined everything that Plato talks about in his Republic. And so he was just using that to show that even if we think that it's not good for us or that 
virtue and these cardinal virtues um, are something that's outdated and, and boring and not not something that we're really living out daily. He was showing that like this is so foundational to the human person that we need this virtual living that that virtue itself he says is simply health of soul that if we're in a good state of life and our soul is in in good in a good state that virtue is necessarily a part of that. There are obviously other things that contribute to it but that we need to have this foundation of virtue in order to have a thriving society as well. And this is really important, right, that virtue is the health of the soul. Because if if you and I are either psychologically or emotionally or spiritually unhealthy, it makes the good that much harder to see and to name. And so it, there really is uh, this this gift that is that that is given to us by trying to live the virtuous life, by trying to be aware objectively of what is the good, but also of really taking that space and examining our lives uh, on a regular basis to see, okay, how am I living? And is the way that I'm living uh, congruent with an an authentic understanding of the good? No, that's a good point to, to include. I like that. I think it's just, yeah, exactly like you're saying how foundational it is. I guess I keep saying that too, but it's it's understanding that like with fortitude, fortitude helps us in, in difficult situations in our life, but also just while we're talking about like growing in virtue, practicing virtue, we need fortitude sometimes to practice the, the difficulties of the other virtues, growing in other virtues, right? Amen. I, I remember in, in seminary, the Lord just said to me, if you're faithful to your life of prayer, you'll begin to start to experience the gift of flourishing. And I was like, well, what is this fidelity? I mean, like, what, how do I be faithful to this life of prayer? And my formator's like, well, we call that the virtue of fortitude. Just that, that the taking the one step, the one day, and asking for the grace in that moment to do that. And it's true. If we are faithful, if we, we live that, we access and exercise that virtue of fortitude, of courage to continue to persevere in difficult times, we grow and we are changed by it. And it's a beautiful gift, a beautiful gift. Yes, I think it's about like laying this foundation of these cardinal virtues for our prayer life and our spiritual life, but also recognizing that there are plenty of times in our life when we need to go back to this place and kind of relay the foundation. Even if we have a very solid prayer life, even if we are growing in a lot of ways, recognizing like, okay, I need to go back to these areas and pray for these these virtues for the grace to grow in wisdom and and just to have a better understanding of like when things are thrown at me and when things come up in life that I need to fall back here so that I can understand to a certain degree of like what's what's going on and what's needed of me. We can't just surrender everything to grace and then say, you know, we have nothing to do here. I think we're going to talk about that as being one of the misunderstandings later. But recognizing that these foundational virtues help us grow and flourish, just like you're saying, Father Steve. We can't, you know, for example, live very unjustly in our life and not practice justice, and also at the same time expect to grow in other virtues like patience. You know, we can't live that contradiction in the virtuous, in our practice of virtue. We have to have some element of these virtues in order for the other ones to have space to grow. Because the saints tell us, and even the philosophers say, that if one grows in one virtue, they grow in them all. And so that's the beauty of it. And if one grows in one vice, they grow in viciousness across the board. And so this is the the beauty is the Lord isn't asking us to focus on our most difficult virtue. He's asking us to focus on the virtues that are are 
right now are the ones that we're most able to to respond to. So I think that leads me into how Peter Kreeft talks about the common misunderstandings of the four cardinal virtues. Maybe I'll read them and you can comment Perfect. when you feel necessary mm-hmm. or where you feel necessary. <laughs> so number one, he says they are relative to Plato or the Greek mind and pre-Christian paganism. So the misunderstanding would be they're not relevant to the Christian. Number two, asserting their importance and universality implicitly teaches that they are salvational, that you get to heaven by practicing them. This is, logically speaking, a very silly confusion, but I have often found evangelicals and fundamentalists thinking this way. So it's kind of the opposite as the first misunderstanding where just practicing the virtues is is all you need. You need to be a good person and then you'll be saved, right? Now, what's important is is that the virtues, and this is what the gift of baptism does and the gift of faith does, we'll talk about next time, but it transforms the virtues such that they actually become salvific for us, and then they're part of our journey in salvation. They're not the, the sole piece of it, but that the, the grace given in baptism transforms them, which is so powerful uh, to think about the fact that all the virtues actually end up pointing us towards heaven at the end of the day because of the gift of baptism. Yes. So number three says, they constitute only one subjective preference among many, like a taste in food rather than like the principles of anatomy. So we can't just say we like one virtue over the other, right? Like this is all four are foundational. Right. Well, and even even to the point where one might say, well, this is just one system among many different systems. And the truth is, is that we, as Peter Kreeft outlined in his own social experiment and throughout history, almost every major philosopher has has gone back to, in some ways, aspects or dimensions of virtue in their work to undergird their their morality and and their teachings, which is really important. But foundationally, we see this in Plato and Aristotle, and then again, at different points in history, uh, in the development of philosophy. Right. Um, another misunderstanding he mentions is that these virtues rest on an outdated, simplistic psychology. So, you know, there are times now are much more complex. Human beings are much more complex. We don't, we don't need this. That's a misunderstanding. Going more specifically into each one, he says, wisdom means only intelligence rather than understanding. The confusion between cleverness and insight, calculation and contemplation. So, you know, mistakenly thinking wisdom is just knowledge, you know, or being intelligent rather than really knowing the bigger picture, knowing what the Lord wants us to do, right? And and this is important because when it comes to the good, right, because wisdom directly corresponds to prudence, when it comes to knowing the good, the good requires us to have understanding of something uh, in order to to discern its actual goodness rather than having just a cursory overview or or knowledge about uh, something, which, which is essential, right? Because if I if I don't know, right, I might look at a situation or a set of circumstances having whatever little knowledge I have, and the first thought of my mind is, and this happens actually every election, this is what happens, right? That politicians will try to put things out there in a way where people have a little bit of knowledge about them to make them think that they know what that is. And when one comes to actually understand the implications of what is being spoken or, or what laws are being voted on, you come to a very different understanding. Uh, you come to a very different conclusion about the goodness of the law. And so this is where it's really important that we don't get confused by this. And we really seek, 
we really seek to understand uh, in our process of discerning uh, what is the good, rather than quickly responding, assuming, and and just having a, a cursory bit of knowledge about it. True. Another misunderstanding is thinking that fortitude or courage means, and you said this kind of earlier, Father Steve, like taking dares or foolhardiness, or that courage is a specialty for soldiers rather than a necessary aspect of every virtue. Um, no, exactly, because the, the virtuous life is to um, – because at the, at the core of, a, of the definition of virtue as a morally good habit, a habit means that it's done with ease. But in order to get to a place where it's done with ease, it requires the, the constant yes to choosing it, especially initially when it's difficult. So courage is at the core of every virtue. He then mentions that temperance or moderation means suppression or repression and that it's cowardly rather than passionate or that it's dull. This is basically what, you know, you just said with um with courage that it's it's something that's necessary here and it can be something passionate and and that leads us better into habit. We need that temperance. But it also helps us to say no. Right, the virtue of temperance is what allows us to say well this would be very enjoyable. I, I'm choosing not to engage this because there's something else that's the greater good or or there's something else that needs my energy or my time. And that no helps us then to grow, that no comes through the virtue of temperance. And then the misunderstandings around justice that he mentions is that people often think justice is a mathematical, impersonal, calculating thing rather than something intuitive like musical harmony. And that justice is only external and social. So I think this is maybe looking at it too much like the law um, rather than something that that benefits us personally and spiritually. And including circumstances, right? One has to take an understanding of circumstances in order for justice to be exercised in the proper way. Right. And then he has a special emphasis on a common Christian misunderstanding where there's this idea floating around that the virtues are the sheer gift from God, which is true, um, but it it doesn't touch on the fact that they're also requiring a lot of work on our part, a lot of effort in us being disciplined and growing. Not that that's something apart from the Lord, but it's this misunderstanding of like, well, if you're a Christian, you say that I believe in, in Jesus and I'm saved, that you know it's going to be easy for you or that you're virtuous by default. Where it's recognizing more so that the works of virtue are the fruits of our faith, right? That being a saint is is the proper response to being saved. If we believe in Jesus, if we call ourselves Christian, if we call ourselves Catholic, that that virtue is the necessary response because we would be living out what we believe. Yeah, because faith puts us in relationship with God, who is the true good. And since virtue is always ordered towards the good, it's always points us back towards God, always points us back towards our Savior, always points us back towards Jesus, but it requires of us and it asks of us to engage in our intellect and our will to choose the good that is pointed out to us so that we can really live in that freedom so that we can really live in the gift and the joy of our faith. And that comes through through virtuous living. Right. So I just want to encourage you. I feel like we just want to 
touch on these areas of the cardinal virtues, and there's obviously a lot more that we could go into. But if if you're looking for more, like I encourage you to go back to the catechism quotes that Father Steve was reading, or to read Peter Kreef's Back to Virtue, or find another book on virtue. There are many, and sit in that place, you know, with the Lord, asking to grow in that that area. Yeah, to ask to, the Lord to highlight, you know, maybe a place where you struggle with a virtue, and if there's one that you struggle with. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we talk about the virtues or we want to grow in the virtues, at least for me, or kind of how I how I learned about it is I think more about like growing in patience, you know, growing in love, growing in, in like the self-sacrifice. I'm not always thinking about these four cardinal virtues and how they, they play out in this foundational way, recognizing that it, they're foundational for ourselves and our own living and our own relation to ourselves and our prayer, but they're also very foundational for the creation and flourishing of any Society, you know, civilization is built on these four cardinal virtues and seeing that, you know, again and again in history, people going back to that, like you said previously. And, and it's a great gift. It's a great gift to live the virtuous life because really, if one, if you and I live this virtuous life, if we live out these cardinal virtues, we have a tremendous amount of freedom because we speak of it on it. We speak, we live our lives in honesty and integrity and that freedom allows us to, to simply be truly at peace internally with ourselves because we have nothing hidden. There's no sin. There's no lies really in many ways. And at the end of the day too, I think this is always a beautiful thing is that what the church uses to determine a saint is someone who lives a heroic life of virtue. Someone who really lives a heroic life of virtue. True. Not a miracle worker. Now, oftentimes that comes with it, but (laughs) But really, it's the church is looking to see at the latter years of, of a saint's life, did they live heroic virtue? Because that is the mark of one who has been empowered by the grace and the gift of baptism, uh, and who has responded to the gift of baptism that they have received. I like it. So with that, we're just, uh, let's conclude with a, a, a short prayer and a blessing. Almighty God and Father, we give thanks and praise uh, just for the gift of your Son, who who stands before us uh, as the icon, as the, the image of, of one who possesses perfect virtue. Help us to be imitators of Christ through the, through the grace we have received in baptism, through the grace that we receive through the Holy Spirit, and to respond generously uh, to the good, to seek the good, and to choose the good in all things. We ask all this through you, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father and Holy Spirit, and the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. You can also follow our Facebook page, Rooted in the Really Real Podcast, and Ashley Poltorek on Instagram for episode information and more. God bless.